with nearly every success, there is a line of failures and setbacks, sometimes a very long line. Many of those stories get condensed into pithy journeys that minimize the struggle. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azalay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about triumph and disaster that Mark's guests faced and how they overcame the adversity to shine. Now, here's your host, Mark Azalay. Welcome to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm joined by my great friend, Melissa. Now, I first met you, Melissa, when we were working at probably the worst mental health agency in Boulder, Colorado. Are you even allowed to say that? We can't use names, but, you know, we can oh, mention okay. a little bit of yeah. that. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Great. Yes, that's true. Accurate. Boop. But I feel like we really bonded because I don't know about, well, I do know about you. I guess we saw the corruption of that. We saw the brokenness of the justice system. And I think you and I really connected around just kind of looking around and being like, what the hell is going on here? In a nice way. Yeah, that's what we did is what the hell is going on around here. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And <laughs> I, was, I was reflecting. I was writing the, the uh, description for this podcast. You know, that was like almost 10 years ago. Like, are we old? You stop it. Now? You stop it right now. Yeah. It was 10 years ago. Oh, it was like wonderful. 2013. Mm-hmm. Thank you for aging me that quickly. I appreciate that. Right. Was it really 10 years ago? I can't believe it. You know, it's 2013, right? So like eight years ago? Yeah. That's a while yeah. back. Wow. We've kind of Life each gone very our own ways. We've grown. And we've always like, like reconnected. You know, we've always been, but, but apparently not your work wife. Oh, Marion's going to be upset about that one. Marion, I have to tell you, I was really sad when I saw that description. I was like, oh, he, he's betraying me. No, that was our episode one, episode one guest. So She was wonderful to listen to, by the way. Can you tell the audience a little bit about what you've been up to since then? You know, who you are, what <laughs> you're all then, about? Oh, my God. That's the elevator pitch that I was just talking about. Is anybody, I am not good at that. Is, are people good at that? Is that a thing? I think with practice, yeah, people get good at it. Oh, so I basically I just need practice. Is that what you're telling me? Woof. Okay, so. Good thing you're on a podcast. I know. So eight years in the making. That was when, ironically, I was working inpatient, working at the, you know, this facility you were talking about. And I was also bartending while trying to work my way through grad school. So the irony there is the bartending while working at a DUI facility and an inpatient facility while getting my hours for addictions counseling. I really, what I did was I made my world just keep going around the irony. So eventually I just stopped because apparently morals had something to do with it. But I know, I know it was, it's an odd conflict, but I then graduated with my grad school and then I was doing like at home therapy services for a while and then moved into like a small group practice. And then as of last year, I put my big girl pants on and I became a private practitioner with my own little business. Pretty cool. Yeah. I know it's really cool, but you know I'm light years behind the successes of you, Mark. You're just blowing me away. The time I turn around, you're like, and I'm doing this on top of this, this, and this, and this. Well, now you can say you've been a podcast guest, right? <gasps> well, I, you know, always a guest and never a host. <laughs> <laughs> one day, one day, I'm sure you'll have it. I think mm-hmm. it'd be great. I, I listen to your podcast. I think it'd be fantastic. Uh, there would be a lot of. It would just be inappropriate. I don't know if people want to hear hear that, but here we are, you and I. Here what do you are. want to talk about, Mark? What do you want? What do you want me to say? I feel like I've done the elevator pitch, and now my armpits are sweating. I'm like, let's let's move on. Let's talk. Well, on this podcast, we're focusing on you know you're from the ashes story, right? Your stories oh, of yeah. recovery, your successes, your failures, right? Like what you learned along the way. And how that shaped who you are. Yeah. 
It's very interesting that you say that because I don't really say that I've come from anywhere, but when you start to tell the story, you go, oh, wow, I can't believe I actually survived that. I can't believe I went through that. Because you hear stories from your clients and you're like, God, my heart goes out to you. I, like, I could never imagine what that's like. And then when you have to share your stories, it becomes very different. So I noticed on your little bio that you put on there about Catholicism, combat, and couples counseling. So I guess I figure we'll talk a little bit about where that is. So you like that title? I know. It was, I was like, he... He was in his zone when he wrote that. Alliteration <laughs> works every time. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. So I, I grew up with both my parents being in the military. My mom's a retired colonel. My dad's a retired captain. And then basically everyone else in my family is in the military but me. I probably couldn't hack it. Let's be honest. I wouldn't be able to handle people yelling at me. But so my mom was officer. My dad and everyone else was enlisted. And I don't know if this is an experience for everybody, but from what I've experienced, there's a difference between officers and enlisted. Officers are, I guess you would call them a little bit more professional in the field. And I'm, I'm not saying that enlisted aren't. I'm just saying that from my experience, the enlisted are the much more what you would anticipate from the military of like, we're doing a hundred pushups and we're going to yell and we're going to get aggressive and we're going to have this huge masculinity thing going on. And that was the majority experience of military lifestyle that I had with this part. But my mom gave kind of like a nice ray of sunshine that there was another avenue. We didn't move around because so I, by the time that I came along, mom was reserved and dad was retired. So she only did like the every other weekend or something like that gone um but the rigidity of rule conforming and basically doing as you're told that really came from where I went to school I went to a catholic elementary school and a catholic high school and it was your shirt has to be tucked in you there is no talk back there it's like very what you would predict, but no nun slapping you with rulers. I didn't have that, luckily. Um, but with that being said, my mom and my dad are both very different people. My mom, again, is like this ray of sunshine. And my dad is the very masculine, rough around the edges type of guy. And that bled into my older brother, Ryan, who loved the military he grew up on a military base he loved the helicopters he was going to be military basically from the time that he was born then my other brother came along Chris and he wasn't that much older than me my brother Ryan was about eight or nine years older than me and Chris and I we were pretty similar we were different in some ways but we were pretty similar and when I was almost 12, he was hit by a car and unfortunately died from that. Now, when I preface the fact that my mom and dad are very different, it was highlighted in their grief. Yeah. My mom showed me how to grieve. Like she said, it's okay to cry. It's okay to feel these ways. Let's get you into a support group. Let's get, get it to where you feel like you're going to be okay. My dad, on the other hand, he dealt with his grief by isolating and drinking and becoming aggressive and mean. My brother did the same thing. My brother, by the time that Chris did pass away, Ryan was moving into adulthood because he was so much older than I was, joining the military. And he coped with drinking as well and basically throwing himself into the military so he didn't grieve then on top of that around the time that he joined the military he was also deployed multiple times so he came back pretty bad PTSD and alcoholism and whenever he came home I did not know what brother I was going to get 
then my dad and my brother, because of their aggressiveness, they triggered one another. It was chaotic. Moving forward a little bit longer, my mom gets deployed. And now I'm home alone. I'm a teenage girl with my dad who's an alcoholic. And he's rough. He's rough around the edges. And I got to the point where I basically said, fuck you. I'm out. Right? And I decided one night I can't take this anymore. I packed the bare minimum. And I got in my car. And I stayed in the school parking lot. And I basically lived in the school parking lot for about a month. Um, the lunch ladies, I'm going to assume, knew something was going on, but I don't think that they wanted to make any waves. And I remember um, I had to get ready at school, so I would shower in the school locker room. And I was coming out of the locker room, and she handed me a breakfast burrito. I was like, oh, this is this is amazing. Thank you. Right. I'm walking out, eating my burrito, feeling great. And the assistant principal saw me eating the burrito and he thought that I had stolen it and gave me three days of detention for stealing from the school. And at the same time, the school was, it's a Catholic school. They have rules and regulations and I'm not exactly able to wash my clothes. I'm, I'm, I'm doing the best that I can with what I have in the moment. And I was getting detention left and right for a dirty uniform, shirt being untucked. Why wasn't my schoolwork turned in? It, w- it was ridiculous. And the thing is, is when you look back on it, it's like, why didn't any adults be like, what the fuck is going on with this kid? Right. Like, but why are you getting I, punished instead of being helped? Right. But what's what's interesting is I remember specifically a person in administration telling me that I'm a fucked up kid because I kept getting in trouble. And all they saw was that I was getting into trouble. They didn't ask themselves why. And it was because my mom was deployed. I had basically lost both of my brothers. I lost Chris to being hit by a car, my brother to my Ryan to PTSD my dad's an alcoholic. I'm living in my car and none of these adults even asked me what was going on. Right. So the system wasn't paying attention or looking out for me. Holy failed you. Yeah. So fast forward, I'm living in my car. Uh, finally, some family friends said, Hey, our daughter has, um, an apartment with her young son. Why don't you move in there? You can help her with the bills and help her with the kids. So I'm 17, 18 years old. I move in with this young mom and her son. I'm working full time to try and help pay the bills. Our electricity is getting shut off. I'm trying to just now figure out what it means to even go grocery shopping. And I get told if you don't pass these specific classes, you're not going to graduate. I didn't have internet in my car. We couldn't afford internet where I was living. And still, I was basically being punished from the system. Fast forward, I actually do graduate. I I think part of it, some teachers kind of took pity on me and they didn't want to deal with me, whatever. Um, I graduate and I moved to Germany. And I was like, I need to get this shit out of here. I can't handle this. I need to just figure out who I am. So I moved to Germany, I start college, I come back here, and I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. So I start taking classes at Front Range, and then I, I take my first psychology class. And I can't even explain how excited I was to finally start learning. Like I was on top of my schoolwork, I was all about psychology. And so it just kind of bled from there. I was like, feed me more. And I decided to get my addiction counseling because it's in the family. And then I started to get my marriage and family therapist degree because of systems, right? 
So there's that all nicely wrapped up in a bow for you of why I'm a therapist. You said you didn't have a story. That's an incredible story. <laughs> well, so, I mean, really, you hear stories and you're like, oh, that's so impactful. And then when you, I say mine, I'm like, mm, I survived, I guess. All right. You know, I don't know. Whatever. You know, it's like lived in my car for a month <laughs> oh, and I like totally... went to Germany and like family speaked in trauma and things. loss and grief. Like, I mean, whatever. I mean, people, you know. Go through that shit all the time. And that's it. That's my, you know. But I have nothing more that I want to share with you. Are we done now? <laughs> uh, no, but we are about to go to our first commercial break. Uh, when we return, we're going to hear more. I want to hear more about you and the story, right? I want to hear more about how you felt, what was going through your head, how you were making sense of the world, and how that that's informed who you were today. So, for those mm. listeners out there, please stay tuned. Follow us on social media. Right, shoot us an email at podcast at mark com and follow us on everything. The username is Mark M. Azule. So stay tuned and we'll catch you on the other side of the break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are the experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azale.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azale, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azalea. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azalea.com. Now back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. I'm sitting here with Melissa, and we were just hearing about her story of growing up, losing two brothers, one to a car accident, one to PTSD, you know, living living in a car, living in your car in the parking lot right? Lunch lady comes out, gives you a burrito. You get accused of stealing a burrito. Mm -hmm. You get admonished by the school and you decide to book it and go to Germany. Mm -hmm. Can we we pick up the story there? Because I want to know, like... (laughs) Tell me what you know about Germany. Yeah, like why (laughs) Germany? Like, what were you thinking? Like, what was it like living so far away and so different from where you were? Hmm. So it's not... It's not super different. That's where my mom was deployed. My mom was deployed in Launchstuhl, Germany. And that's where I went to go live. So I I lived there with her. I lived with my sunshine for a little while. Um, And we honestly, we traveled. I got to meet my family in Sweden. It was the greatest thing in the world. It was amazing. Like, I felt like I just kind of like, yes, this is what I want in my life. but yeah, it, 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 I, I lived on a military base and I, it, there was a combination of U.S. military and Germany military. What's fascinating, it was it used to be a concentration camp. They put a base on a cut? Come on, man. Really? It was like a youth. It was like a youth camp. Yeah. A youth concentration camp? There was like a tower that was still there. We, we visited the tower that was like on there. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Like they killed kids where you were staying? Is that your time? I, I don't know. I think it was a youth camp, like basically where like oh, kids went to work. I don't know if they killed kids there, <laughs> to be fair, but they did have kids stay there. And like mine or like what kind of work? Oh, Lordy. I, you know, I really didn't ask too much detail because it was just me and my mom like touring around and reading plaques. Uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, I'll well, tell you, Germany is absolutely fabulous. I loved Germany. I loved Sweden more, but that's because where the family is. You know, put the concentration camp, we'll put that on the back burner for now. As the uh, do on this call, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about the that. Details, if, I know. Yeah, it's just make that into like a museum or something. You can just oh, yeah. Live there. It's amazing. Did you see, were there any ghosts? Were there any ghosts? There's got to be Oh, my ghosts, God. I, I right? would not look because I'll tell you, I am terrified of ghosts terrified of them can't mm-mm. don't welcome it mm-mm. can't do it because so, I, I think i'm pretty sure i've had experiences that like i can that were terrifying i don't want to do it nope didn't explore mm-hmm. it didn't offer it up to anybody to come visit nope didn't go there okay so if there were ghosts you didn't know about them i didn't i didn't explore that option no mm-mm. i was too busy wallowing in my own self-pity i suppose and then dancing on the hills. I'm curious about your ghost experience. Should we turn this into an occult podcast? Oh, uh, we probably should, yeah. Want to make a paranormal podcast? Yeah, I'm down for that. All right, what ghosts have you seen? <laughs> it wasn't like seed. It was shit being thrown at you. You had a ghost throw shit at you? I'm not going to... I'm not going to invite things that I don't want to invite. Okay. Mm -hmm. The the, actually the female that I lived with when that in that story that I was telling you about, she's my girl. She's my jam, right? So she, her, and I wait until if you got her and we start talking about ghosts, it would. mm -hmm. Things have happened to that young lady that I'm surprised. Is this what we're going to talk about? We're going to talk about ghosts now. I'm okay uh, with that transition. I don't know if if if, if some people are. If the network is okay with that, let's uh, yeah. Let's go back to the story, but I do want to okay. get the information of the person you live with, and maybe you can get her on the podcast. Yes, yes. I would love for this you to be like a secret paranormal podcast. It'd be the greatest hoodwink of all time. For sure. Okay. Uh, I got a couple ghost stories that I can tell at some point. <laughs> aliens too. So tell me about you're in Germany. Right? Yeah, I'm in Germany. It's great. Mm-hmm. With your mom, you get okay. your sunshine back. Yeah. You go to Sweden, do the origin trip, right? See your family. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you ever come back then? Oh, okay. So I had the option of staying even though mom was coming back home because I could have finished school out there. Um, my mom was staying that if she doesn't return home now, she's not sure if there's going to be a marriage later. And I wanted to support that. And so I thought that if I was there, she wouldn't feel so alone in whatever she was walking home to because I was there and I wouldn't want her to experience that, even though that's not that's not my role. That's my responsibility. I didn't want her to do that alone. And so we came back together and we said we were going to try and tackle this together. Did it work? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I'm glad that we had each other. Because it sucks going at it alone. Right. And honestly, I think that's Right. And honestly, I think that's partially, you know, some people when their parents or someone in their family has an addiction, they're like, oh, I can relate. Let me let me do this addiction thing, either because I was the addict or someone who I love was the addict and I want to, in theory, save them. But I think what happened for me on some level was that I was wanting to be a support for people who were in my position. I wanted to be there for the family who was experiencing the addiction. 
So that's, I think, where I was being led personally. Right. And you were saying before the break that being inside the uh, psychology course and learning about systems, right? Seeing mm-hmm. things as more than just the person was really mm-hmm. exciting to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Cause I really do believe it's not, it's not, and I do believe there's probably some narcissist out there who would disagree with me, but it, it, this isn't your world and everyone else is living in it. This is our world that like what I do and what I say has an impact on my kids has an impact on my family and the system further out. And when, for me, I broke it down to, it's not just the individual that needs the work. Other therapists can do the individual work because I'm so angry with my dad. I can't save him. Let me save the couple. Because I believe that if my parents, if they had a different relationship, if they took time to listen, to be respectful, to be open and willing to be vulnerable, my life would have been very different. My life when mom deployed would have been very different. My life after losing my brothers would have been very different. So I have this concept of if you get the couple right, you can get the family right. Get the family right, you can start broadening the scope. And it's realistically, when you have a substance addiction, it's a relationship. So for me, it is all about systems. Absolutely. Right. And when I was in my addiction, and I think a lot of addicts in general, we're often just the most sensitive and we're acting out Mm -hmm. the sickness of the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And ours was grief. Yeah. It was grief and a very toxic masculine viewpoint of how one should handle feelings. Just do push-ups until you don't feel anything anymore. A bit, that's basically what it was. It was basically like suck it up, buttercup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the systems idea, you know, when you put it out there, it's so clear. It's so obvious, right? Like being like, yeah. hey, you know, it's not just you. It's the whole thing. And there's a lot of complicated mm-hmm. parts. And clearly no one exists mm-hmm. in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. But when I tell that to clients, and I assume you have the same idea, it blows their minds. Yeah. Because I found when people are in their suffering, right, they're they're so caught in their own head just to have this idea that it's not their fault or not having this blame component or not having the sense of I'm messed up or I'm broken, that there's actually many different variables that go into who I am. That can be mm-hmm. such a liberating thing for people mm-hmm. to hear and to mm-hmm. start to pull the camera back a little bit and Mm -hmm. see more of the moving parts. Absolutely. But I think as I was growing, my anger was developing towards my dad because it was this, why are you choosing alcohol over helping me grow as a person? Why are you choosing to drink rather than show up for me when I need you to show up for me? So it, it, I experienced a lot of anger and a lot of anger towards alcohol, a lot of anger, like I'm not good enough. Clearly I am not good enough if alcohol is what you're choosing over your own kid, right? And that, that's what, and I have to continuously work through that, especially now because ironically, my family, we're living with my mom and dad right now. My parents are still together, but I'm living with my parents right now. And it's that I got thrown back into this dysfunctional system, not only with a therapist brain, but going back into like childhood brain and really trying to figure out how do I function in this dysfunction? And it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, you've got to be one of the most resilient people I know. I could not be back with my parents. And I know it's a traditional step for you as right? you're yeah. saving for a home and you're you know taking yeah. the next step with your family and your, and your children. You're stronger than I am. I When I visit them, I got like one, two, maybe three days in me. And then that childhood brain comes back online and I am in mm-hmm. a world of just 
fear and suffering mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, shut down sadness, really. Well, and it, you know, if we talk about attachment, right, the, the attachment styles that I learned from my parents was the secure sunshine attachment and avoidant attachment. I avoid my dad and he avoids me. And we do well when we avoid each other. And and I'm working from home and my dad's retired and at home 24-7. So I am actually with him 24-7. When I'm like, if I'm not working and I have to, you know, get lunch or something, he's there. Right. So it's, it's forcing me to kind of face this relationship in a way that I had attempted to run away from when I got married, when I went to Germany, when I lived in my car, like I I am now like, because I'm not going to drag my kids everywhere. I certainly protect my kids. My kids have no idea what's going on with their grandpa, but I, I can't run. So what do I do with that? You know? What do you do with that? A therapy helps. <laughs> <laughs> I well, it's ther- like therapy. Like when you find a therapist that you feel like kind of aligns with with your uh, viewpoint, and not just like agrees with you and validates you, but you know, I, I found someone who was a marriage and family therapist because they knew that I was coming from a systems viewpoint, and the things that she reflects back to me, I'm like, ah, oh, God damn it. I can't believe this. I'm doing this. And you, you, I say to myself, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like this. And then she'll reflect it back and be like, guess what you're being like. Those are the best moments. Those are the best moments in therapy. It like makes my skin crawl because I try so hard to repel those things. And then even just the, the rebellion of it is like that person. And so yeah. I, I can't effectively rebel even. I have to make the choice. Um, just therapy helps. <laughs> and I have an amazing husband. With his, his sense of humor and my sense of humor, I think, help really have kept our sanity. <laughs> and my mom, she's a sunshine. My mom really is a sweetheart. So I, I think... It's a lot better than I, I tell myself it is, but it's forcing me to grow, ironically. Well, it's forcing you to look in that mirror and be asked the question of, hey, am I t- turning into this person? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or do I want to change how I relate with this person? Oh, that's going to be pretty hard. Mm-hmm. It does sound like you do have a great support system. And the humor, I mean, I think we, we share that too, this idea of like, you know, it's never too soon. It's never too right. soon. And if people overhear us, they better be offended. Or else <laughs> we're not being funny enough. Uh, I, this is when I'm grateful that, you know, it takes me time for the clients to get to know me and stuff. But once they get to know me and I can be that like goofy and appropriate self that I am, I think that really helps this therapeutic alignment and help people see like I'm talking to a person I'm talking to a person who has experiences and she's not just knowledgeable about what she's got like this field because she's gone through things and she can get it you know yeah you're not just you know spitting the book at them you're speaking from your real experience and connecting as a human I think that's so critical and is a fine line in our industry for sure Mm -hmm. mm-hmm Mm-hmm. So I want to hear more about that as we go into our next segment. We'll be talking no, directly to, to the listeners. So for those of you out there, stay tuned because you're going to hear what Melissa has to say to someone that is in a similar situation, what helped her, you know, move through this and what she's working on right now. And before you, you know, log off or take a break right during the commercial, follow us on social media, send me an email, follow us on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We got to do all this socials. We got to make this thing happen. It's early in the podcast life. And uh, if we get a lot of followers, my show gets renewed and I get to do it for longer. So I'm hoping that that happens. That's why we got. And we can talk about ghosts. And we can make it a paranormal podcast. Please (laughs) email us if you'd like us to rebrand as a paranormal podcast instead of a uh, mental health, wellness, and therapy podcast. Thanks all for listening. Stay tuned and we'll catch you on the other side of the break. 
out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are the experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azale.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azale, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azalea. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azalea.com. Now back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to From the Ashes. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay. Sitting here with Melissa. Over the break, we were talking about... <laughs> we were talking about drinking during the show. And we were talking about um, living the dream, right? We were learning that someone else is doing a, a podcast on horse racing. And we're here talking about touching stories of you know, recovery and learning and therapy and getting stronger. Melissa, let me ask you a serious question. Oh, good. Okay. Now I'm are all we, sweaty. <sighs> are we in the wrong yeah. industry? All right. I'll tell you, I'm not good at anything else. So I don't know what else I would do. <laughs> I haven't there. had like more validation than I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing then I can't, I can't, I honestly can't imagine what else I would be doing. Living in the car? Probably. Living in a parking lot? I'm good at that. I know how to do that now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sometimes I question. It is rewarding to do it. It's heavy though, especially this year, right? Because we're, we're, we've been first responders. I, I'm like just realizing yeah. it now that we're like a year out. I think I was able to keep it together, but now it's just like, oh my God. We've really been yeah. on the front lines of this whole, you know, COVID thing. And, you know, and you say that, uh, and I'll have to tell you, like, I cannot agree and disagree all at the same time. So I I disagree from the standpoint of I've been sitting in my house doing therapy. I haven't had to go anywhere to do therapy, right? When I think of frontliners, I think of my sister-in-law who who's a nurse in the ICU like of you know I have another sister-in-law who's in, like I think of actual like medical emergency type people and I'm like those are the heroes I cannot see myself or categorize myself as a hero I, and not that I'm discrediting any other therapist because I think everybody does a much better job at everything than me this is that whole I'm no good concept. Sounds like a problem. <laughs> but I like, and I agree in the sense of like, it has been taxing on me mentally with how much grief and trauma have come up because of COVID and having to stay completely present for every client you have. It is, it's, it's taxing for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's something about being a therapist. I that's a metaphor. You know, oh, I got a good one. I don't know. It's maybe like a visual. You know, you have the firefighters right that are walking around the town. Something catches on fire, they got to put it out. Right? You got the front responders. Someone gets sick, they got to suture them up. They got to fix it. You know, you have the soldiers right. Someone's invading. They have to keep the watch and make sure everyone is safe. There's Mm -hmm. all these very 
clear things. Yeah. It makes our job both like, I don't know, rewarding and that there's a high skill ceiling, but also really frustrating is that it's not tangible. You know, we're like walking around the town talking to people. And if we do our job right, they like kill mm-hmm. each other like a little bit less. You know, yeah, right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, or there's like less yeah. domestic violence or, yeah. you know, a kid has a better chance, but it's, mm-hmm. it's very indirect and it's really invisible. It's not as clear as yeah. putting out a fire or su- yeah. suturing a wound. And of course, yeah. not to minimize those people, those people are certainly heroes. And I think mental health has a place there too. We're mm-hmm. maintaining order within the town while the, you know, invaders are attacking from outside. We're basically hugging the people as they're crying that their house is on fire and saying, how does this make you feel? <laughs> yeah. And like, I mean, I go a little further. I call it here. So I know what I get. I totally get what you're saying. I have a hard time like validating my self-worth, which I couldn't tell you why, but I see it more like therapists are like Brazilian waxers, right? I could very easily wax myself. One, I have not been trained to, and so I'm going to pay someone to basically get in the areas I can't see and get to the root of things and then say, oh, that was a good one. Oh, yeah. That's how I I have so much more that can go with that analogy, but that's how I just kind of see what I do. I'm just a, a... a Brazilian waxer of the soul. That could go on your business card. You know, I wonder what the picture would be that I would put on that. Getting to the root. <laughs> like hair on the wax. Oh, God. Yeah, I'd be like, you know, like waxing like a heart, you know, just ripping it out. Taking all your trauma and grief is pulling it right out of your heart. Moses, but yeah, we're we're waxers of the soul. Well, as we're wrapping this up, we have you know in this segment. Are we already wrapping it up? No, we're, we're not done yet. I'm just trying to transition. Oh. Yes, back on top. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, can you give me, can you give me a chance mm-hmm. here. Uh, yeah. How would you like to? I'm trying to make a segue. Speaking of segues, mm-hmm. how would you wax? Yeah. Uh, wax yeah. someone listening who can relate with your story. What would you want them to hear? What would you want them to know? It doesn't have to be as a therapist. In fact, it's better if it's not. As a human to human, what would you want them to hear? Shit sucks sometimes. And sometimes it's really good. Sometimes it sucks. And you try what you can to not repeat the shitty times. There are certain things you can't prevent, like death, but if you can prevent repeating substance abuse, if you can prevent the avoidant attachment style, if you can prevent repeating what's hurt you, try. Does that help? Is that, would would that like soul moving for you? Is that what you were looking for? (laughs) I think it connects with, it was. Oh, great job. Oh, good. You. Thanks. You can't, a plus. You can't validate can. yourself. Yeah. No. I'll give you a burrito any day. Mm. Don't worry. You deserve it. Right to the heart there. But yeah, no, it relates to a way that I look at the world. My phrase for that is moving the needle mm. or trending upwards, right? As long as you can just move the needle a little bit mm-hmm. or move the graph so you're moving upwards a little bit knowing mm-hmm. that there's going to be ups and downs along the way, mm-hmm. that progress and that's a win. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, I mean, I still do for sure. I'm not over this, but I fall victim to a perfectionism all the time. Where no I want way. To, right? I mean, how long have you known me? <laughs> Nearly 10 years. Okay. Keep I want to skip You're to a perfectionist. Yeah. Big time, mm-hmm. right? I want to skip to the end. And it's not because I have high standards for myself, which I do and for other people. So the people I date, which is a whole nother problem. Which, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not, not a tangent right now. We'll get to that in a future, in a future podcast. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you'll come back for uh, season two. We can do uh, <laughs> the, the all access Mark Agile dating life. Oh, but um, my God. Yeah. Not, not, not right now. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think it's because of the high standards. It's mainly because for a while I'm really uncomfortable in that middle zone Hmm. of feeling dumb or feeling clumsy or not knowing that I'm making progress or being in what you're talking about, that like suck area where it's like, Uh Oh my God, it's like really hard right now. And I don't know what to do. Yeah. And I just want to skip to the end. And because that's impossible, what would happen for most of my life is I just wouldn't do anything. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't even start because I knew that that shitty part was coming up. Sure. And I've had to work over time. You know, I can prepare a lot ahead of time and I do, but no matter what, there's always going to be that shitty part. It's unavoidable. And the things that are worth doing are often the shittiest, at least in the beginning. Oh my God. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the waxing part. It hurts when it gets ripped out, but then it's nice and smooth and, and and then it grows back and it's itchy. So it's, it's, it's really Mark. The thing is, is I do know that you, you like to get things right the first time and you, you want to do well. And I think you have done well. I mean, you're, you have a podcast, right? Uh, for me, I, I feel as though I sit in the, uh, the core belief of I'm not good enough. So I'm going to have to keep trying, even though I know I'm not going to be a star athlete or whatever else. But I'm going to give it my all. And I'm, I'm going to at least try and make myself proud. And when I make myself proud is when I'm done with couple therapy in the sense of after I've done a session with a couple, I feel so full and happy and like do this like mental fuck. Yeah, man, that was amazing to watch this couple turn to each other and have soft moments. And be gentle. And then when you see their progress over time, it just, it's good. It's gold when you get to see it. Yeah, I can feel the tinglys as you're talking. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. do couples counseling, but I can appreciate that you are about that. And I can imagine it must mm-hmm. be so powerful to see those walls break down and to have them have a moment of connection and actually seeing and understanding each other. Yeah. It's beautiful. It, it really is. It's like, I, I found what felt my heart for sure. So to all of those who go through what I went through, shit sucks. You got to keep moving, try and make it things a little different. And if you can, therapy. Right? Yeah. Going into those darker places with an open eyes is really powerful, right? Going exactly, getting the Brazilian wax, right? Going as deep as you can. I think it's really powerful. And and looking at it with fearlessness Mm. and accepting it as it is and being like, oh my God, this is where I'm at. You know, Mm -hmm. every time my wife looks at me, I just get terrified. Like that's shitty. Like that's shitty to say and to hear and to feel and to admit. But when you can say something like that, that's where the power is and that's where the hope is right but so here's where i'm going to add to that still it also takes a lot of power to bring in the person that you're struggling with and being vulnerable to say this is this doesn't feel good Right. I imagine, you know, what it would be like if one day my dad and I did therapy. I don't know how how well it would go. I attempted to do therapy with my brother and that was somewhat of a disaster. But it takes a lot of courage to say, yep, I'm going in here with this other person and we have been. And so what do we do? That's. Because when you do individual therapy, it feels like you can kind of hide it a little bit, right? You don't have to talk about it. It's mm-hmm. just you. And the therapist isn't going to go around and talk about it. But when you have to bring someone else in and you have to talk about this 
process with this person that you're struggling with. I have, I, the couples, I love my couples. Am I allowed to do that as a therapist to say I love my couples? Is that, is that biased? I think so. Okay. I think so. And well, I'm going to say it's really important. they're neato. They are neat. No, I think you can say you love them. Mm, I do. I really enjoy working with couples. But if, if we go on a different tangent, because now I'm com- uncomfortable, let's just talk about you and your couple. No. <laughs> talk more about ghosts. <laughs> no, the uh, the love thing is important. I want to I want to thread on that because yeah. yeah, like in all the people that I see, most of them are men. I'm loving them, mm. and it's different for each person. It's different for me with yeah. with each of them. Mm-hmm. But the work that I do, you know, long term analytic work, it's a lot of it's reparenting, and I imagine you're in that role with yeah. a lot of the couples. Oh yeah, too. yeah, and they've never experienced love, and the idea right. is. We can, I, I try to beam that to my clients mm-hmm. in doses that they can take. Mm-hmm. And if it's too much, they shut down. If it's not enough, right, they don't feel anything. Yeah. It's not effective. But yeah. I think it's really important. And now that I've moved in my career, a big part of my intake process, I'm curious your thoughts on this as we're kind of moving towards the end here, is when someone's talking, I want to find something lovable in them before I even bring them into the practice. If there's somebody who I'm talking to and I'm like, I don't think we get along with this person. I have the luxury now to refer them out. But everyone that mm-hmm. I work with, I want to have some form of connection because I know that that is ultimately what's going to heal long-term. Mm. Do you think that there's a potential of codependency on the love that you provide? Oh, for if sure. they didn't get yeah. it, yeah. If they didn't get it, I think, you know, it's important to find redeeming qualities in the people that you work with. And I feel like it's so easy to find. And granted, if it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. But when you really build that relationship, again, working with systems, when you really build and feed into the relationship and you help them grow and thrive, it's all good, you know? And you're going to go through some shit and you're going to rip out the roof. You're going to say, man, that was a good one. And you hold up the trip. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where the power is. So Melissa, we are at the end. This conversation always goes by so quickly. Uh, I would love uh-huh. to have you on as a guest, uh, you know, for the second season. For those of you listening, please send emails to podcast at markdathasley.com. If you want to hear from Melissa again, if you have any questions for her, any comments, I'll forward it all to her directly. We'd love to hear what you think. Join the conversation. On Twitter, hashtag from the ashes. Follow us on social media, Mark M. Azoulay at everything. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a fun project and I appreciate your support as we're building this out. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay for From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We'll have another edition of the program then. Meet triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters the same. Until next time.